it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I hope you had a fantastic weekend. Admiral Chavitas is standing by to bring us up to date on some of the fallout from the Slovakia election. And this guy ran on taking Russia's side against Ukraine. And then you have the funding not being in the U.S. uh, budget talks over the weekend. And now we have word that the foreign minister of China met with Jake Sullivan over in Malta. And now there's this foreign secretary is now meeting over in Russia. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. It's hard to believe we can trust either one of those two, but that's how this war would end. So before we get to that, Ainsley Earhart at the bottom of the hour, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Why run against Trump? I mean, let's face it, Ron. If this if campaign was going well, you wouldn't be on this show. One, I don't think he can win the election. Uh, I could win the election. Two, I don't think he could actually get the job done that we need to do. There you go. Uh, Ron DeSantis going on with Bill Moore. Yep, DeSantis' new game plan for 2024. Haley's getting momentum and Trump's dominance. We'll discuss it all. We also examine uh, Joe Biden's lost summer, why Bidenomics failed, and how they plan on going back to the old playbook. Vilify Donald Trump. Number two. Yes, I'll survive. You know, this is personal with Matt. Matt voted against the most conservative ability to protect our border, secure our border. He's more interested in securing TV interviews than doing something. Shutdown averted, but turmoil hits turbo speed as Speaker McCarthy does a deal with Dems and funds the government for six weeks. Matt Gates is coming after his job and other members are coming after Gates. We bring you all the drama. Number one. The polls bear this out and uh, they don't want to run against me. I'm the last one. If they wanted to run against me, I wouldn't have had four indictments so far. I consider it a great badge of honor because I'm being indicted for you. Yup, with four trials looming. He starts a major civil trial today. I'm talking about the former president. As his hard-earned business empire is in peril. Why I believe this is pure politics and why Elon Musk, I believe, is next. Uh, we'll discuss that because now they're investigating Elon Musk's Tesla, uh, his Tesla business. Got a bunch of them. At which they say there's not enough opportunities for minorities. They're also looking into government grants that he might have gotten. Oh, yeah, to help him get to the space station. I'm pretty sure he's the only one that can get there. Admiral James Javidis, former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, joins us now. Admiral, welcome back. Great to be with you, Brian. Admiral, are you getting worried about the support of the West for Ukraine's mission? Well, you can feel it kind of cracking on the edges. Um, let's take three things. One is the continuing resolution, hard fought. Uh, got that done. I think that's a good thing overall for the country. Did not include funding for Ukraine. Personally, I think that will come back, and I think the center will hold here in the U.S., but it's an indication of a little softening support. Uh, Over in Europe, as you mentioned in your lead-in, a small country, Slovakia, not a terribly important member of NATO, but they just uh, appear to have elected a new prime minister named Robert Fico, who is 
pro-Russian. He's uh, very difficult for the West to work with. Um, I think that's a problem for Ukraine. And then third and finally, over in Europe, Poland has a big election coming up. They've been crucial supporter to Ukraine. You can feel a little softening over there. So that's, if you will, the bad news, Brian. I think overall the center will hold on this, both uh, sides of the Atlantic, and I think the support for Ukraine will continue. So I'm just I'm looking at this story now as I was going up from TV, and you might have seen it already. I, I apologize. I was just getting it. And that is that this uh, foreign our Jake Sullivan met with the foreign minister over in China, over in Malta, the Chinese foreign minister, and then is going over to Russia. Do you think there's anything going on there? Was you, if you don't know specifics, what does your gut tell you? My gut tells me that on both sides of the firing line in Ukraine, the alliance systems behind Russia and behind Ukraine are starting to put pressure on the protagonists, so directly on Putin and Zelensky, to get to a negotiation. And I think it's hard for me to envision another year where this just continues at the same pace, simply because both sides are becoming militarily exhausted. Uh, I think overall it's going to put pressure. Um, Probably winter, maybe late winter, you'll see uh, both sides come to a negotiation. How does that come out? Brian, I think it ends up looking a lot like the Korean Peninsula, just a, a division, probably not terribly different from where we are now. Ukraine gets reconstructed the way South Korea does. Uh, Russia follows the footsteps of North Korea and continues to spiral downward. Here's what Lindsey Graham said. Cut 27. The biggest mistake we've made since the war on terror is withdrawing from Afghanistan. To President Trump and anybody else, if we pull the plug on Ukraine, that's 10 times worse than Afghanistan. There goes Taiwan. To stop funding Ukraine is a death sentence for Taiwan. Putin will keep going. You missed all of World War II, if you don't know how this uh, movie ends. To the Republicans who say Ukraine doesn't matter to us, you're wrong. Respectfully, you're wrong. The war gets bigger, not smaller. There goes Taiwan. If Ukraine can beat Russia, China's less likely to invade Taiwan, and Putin gets stopped. I can't argue with anything he said. A lot of people don't want to hear it, but those are the facts, aren't they? They are the facts. And as Senator Graham, by the way, a... Uh, Uh, colonel in the U.S. Air Force. He understands the military in deep and intimate ways. Um, He is 100 percent correct on the current situation. But where I really want to draw a line is his historical reference. Um, You know, we don't have to imagine what it would look like. We know what it would look like because we did this in the 1930s. We pulled out of Europe. We built huge trade barriers. Uh, We constructed this world where we said, U.S., we're not going to be engaged in the larger world. Well, how'd that work out? Uh, Well, we cracked the global economy. That would be the Great Depression with a D. And then you can drop a plumb line to the rise of fascism, Second World War, 80 million dead. Um, The U.S. needs to be a force for good. And final thought here, Brian, we've discussed this before. This is pennies on the dollar. This is so much less money than we were spending in Afghanistan, uh, in Iraq. And it's it's minuscule compared to what we had to spend in World War II, where hundreds of thousands of U.S. soldiers died. We haven't lost a single soldier in Ukraine, and we're doing this for dozens of billions of dollars. It's not nothing, 
but it's a bargain. But you have to explain to the American people how we're replenishing our weapon stocks. Don't you agree? Our artillery is being worn down and worn out. There's no plan in place to replenish. And then you got to tell yeah. people, why does Taiwan have to wait over a year to get weapon systems We all, they already paid for? Yeah, both valid criticisms. And I'll, I'll add a third one, uh, which Senator Graham, I think, would agree with me on, where the administration has failed. And that is the incrementalism of the approach, just waiting to the last minute to send an M1 a1 tank, uh, an F-16 fighter, cluster munitions, Patriots. If we had gone all in earlier, we'd be in a much better position. And to your point, um, what is happening, the the engine of democracy, the arsenal of democracy, I should say, is starting to spin up. And we can we can outdo the Russians easily. It's how we won the Cold War under President Reagan. We'll do it again in this war. I would hope so. Um, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that people are looking at our southern border and they see also 180 uh, people on the terror watch list coming at the FBI watch list that have come across already. And they're saying, if you, you guys care more about Ukraine than you do against our southern border, that also resonates with people that don't have the military background that you have, that don't see the threats and study it like you have and written about. You understand that, too, don't you? A hundred percent. And, you know, as you know, Brian, before I was Supreme Allied Commander in NATO, people always think of me as this European guy. I spent three years as Commander U.S. Southern Command, in charge of all military activities south of the United States. So I know Latin America. I know the Caribbean. And we have got to secure our southern border. Until you do that, nothing else you do is going to matter. Here's the good news. We have the resources and the capability to do both. And we need to prioritize our southern border but not walk away from Ukraine. Both those things are true. Uh, All right, Admiral. Can't thank you enough for joining us today, kicking Mm -hmm. us off so strongly. And we'll see what happens with the, the funding over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, let's be talking about it. Thanks right. for everything, Brian. You got Bye-bye. it, Admiral. All right, when we come back, I'll take your phone calls. First time to talk uh, since you've uh, listened all weekend and maybe the time to sound off. We saw some of the dramatics, and I'll go over that when we come back as the Speaker of the House had to go with Democrats in order to pass a budget. I don't want to shut down as a country. I don't. I don't care who's in charge or who gets blamed. I don't want to do that. How it came to this is another story. And now what's going to happen today, the drama is going to be amped up as Matt Gates is going to go to the floor on Tuesday and say, I want a new speaker. Then we'll see what happens. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Expanding your knowledge base. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I do intend to file a motion to vacate against Speaker McCarthy this week. I think we need to rip off the Band-Aid. I think we need to move on with new leadership that can be trustworthy. Look, the one thing everybody has in common is that nobody trusts Kevin McCarthy. He lied to Biden. He lied to House conservatives. 
Uh, I don't know about lying. What he said is he's going to continue to fund Ukraine, and he was going to do that. That's what he told the president. But he also said by the time we get to September 30th, we are going to have 11 appropriations bills. That we're not done. I hold him responsible for that, but I also am the chairman of those of those committees. I don't want Kevin McCarthy telling me what to do. If I'm not done, I am coming back in August. I'm Zoom calling with my uh, the ranking member. I'm telling people what we need to get out of committee. And if that committee fails and I can't get together on armed services or or Homeland Security, I make it public. Hey, it's August 17th. We're still not together on how we're going to finance that committee, that appropriations bill. But over the weekend, it was an absolute circus. I give Kevin McCarthy credit for keeping the government open. And now we got uh, five or six weeks to get it together in order to avoid another shutdown. But Matt Gates and Matt Rosendale as well as Andy Biggs, as well as, um, as, as, as I'm trying to think of who else, about five members just will not vote for a continuing resolution. They're just out. But Matt Gates is actually not even participating. He is just working against. And he, he was doing every interview possible. He was on ABC. He was on, um, he was on NBC, Meet the Press. Uh, this week with George Stephanopoulos on ABC. And then he was also on CNN with Jake Tapper, kind of sparring it out a little bit. Here's him explaining why he does not want Speaker McCarthy as speaker. Cut six. Kevin McCarthy's goal was to make multiple contradictory promises to delay everything, back us up against shutdown politics, and at the end of the day, blow past the spending guardrails he'd agree. So how many Republicans do you have? Well, enough so that when you host this show next week, if Kevin McCarthy is still the Speaker of the House, he will be serving at the pleasure of the Democrats. He will be working for the Democrats. The only way Kevin McCarthy is Speaker of the House at the end of this coming week is if Democrats bail him out. Now, they probably will. Absolutely, I will make no deal with Democrats and concede no terms to them. I actually think Democrats should vote against Speaker McCarthy for free. Why would that be in any Republican's interest? To have a Speaker of the House who owes his speakership to Democrats? I always ask myself, I try to, the best you can, you try to keep emotions out of it in life, whatever you, whether you're bidding on a house or buying a car or you're in a personal uh, fight at work. You got to just say to yourself, what's the big picture? What, what do I hope to get out of this? Okay, I hate that guy or I don't get along with this woman, but what do I want out of this? Do I want to raise? Do I want a better job? Do I want to send a message? And if me sending a message, is it going to work for me in the long term? Matt Gates, I guess, wants to be governor or get a show on Newsmax because he clearly doesn't want to be a bigger player in the House because he's never going to get a committee deal, a committee, uh, a committee chairmanship. No one's going to give it to him. He is never going to take a stand on anything where you got to unite around the bill because no one's going to team up with them. It's personal. And that's what Jake Tapp was trying to say. Listen, uh, that this, this sounds very personal. So I'm not really sure what you're doing here because it sounds like you're having a, a personal fight with him. The same thing with uh, at NBC this week with George Stephanopoulos with Jonathan Carl. Cut seven. This isn't personal. Some people make policy disagreements personal because their own policy failures are so personally embarrassing to them. I hold no personal animus to any uh, with any of my Republican colleagues. By the way, including my Republican colleague you're about to have on next, who's had some pretty terse words for me. But at the end of the day, this is about spending. This is about the deal Kevin made in January. I do resent the fact that Kevin is like owned by lobbyists and special interests. 
And that's personal. Really? I'm owned by special lobbyists. I don't know how I could take that personal. I'm owned by special interests and lobbyists, but don't take it personal. All right, that means I don't stand for anything. I've totally sold my soul for dollars. Would you have to do, no question about it, to be speaker, to be a president? You got to go to corporations, got to let them know that they matter. They want to contribute. They want you to hear, they want to hear their point of view from, uh, from the biggest accounting firm uh, to the biggest bank uh, to the biggest pharmaceutical company. It doesn't mean you sell your soul, but it means you do want their money because in this political process, money matters. It doesn't mean you sell out. And I'm not sure. I'm sure Kevin McCarthy hasn't played the perfect game here. But I do ask yourself, what is the picture? Do you want to shut down the government? What you want to do is rein in spending. Evidently, we're over budget in the next six months, $1 trillion. So seven out of every $10 we get goes to our interest rates. It's a big deal. But this is not the way you do it. And if you care about spending, you go for the first version of the conservative bill that cut spending 8%, fortified the border, but did fund Ukraine. Ukraine is a necessary skirmish that we have to support because our number two enemy in the world is using their aggressive, uh, horrific powers to kidnap children and to destroy the balance of power in Europe. I think that's a big deal. Here's Kevin McCarthy. Says it is personal. Cut eight. Yes, I'll survive. You know, this is personal with Matt. Matt voted against the most conservative ability to... um, protect our border, secure our border. He's more interested in securing TV interviews than doing something. He wanted to push us into a shutdown, even threatening his own district with all the military people there who would not be paid, only because he wants to take this motion. So be it. Bring it on. Let's get over with it. And let's start governing. If he's upset because he tried to push us in a shutdown and I made sure government didn't shut down, then let's have that fight. Right. Uh, Bottom line is, I mean, the numbers are horrific for Republicans. You had 126 yeses, 90 noes, 209 yeses for Democrats, and one no. Why? 335 to 91, no money for the border, no money for Ukraine, $16 billion, uh, for emergency aid. That is a deal that was done with Hakeem Jeffries, who seems to have a better working relationship with McCarthy than Nancy Pelosi ever had with any leader uh, from Boehner on down, it seems. So Mike Lawler weighed in. I'm not going to play it now because we're up against a break. But he's a conservative Republican in a very purple, if not blue, district that won. And if he signs off on hard right budgets or talks about impeachment, his seat is jeopardized, and so is the majority. So he's playing it smart. That's what you have to do in the House. You can't fight stupid fights. And now they're going to have this big fight. They have six weeks to get it together. And offer something to the Senate. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The polls bear this out, and uh, they don't want to run against me. I'm the last one. If they wanted to run against me, I wouldn't have had four indictments so far. I consider it a great badge of honor because I'm being indicted for you. That is uh, the former president of the United States. And we're watching now as his caravan of SUVs makes his way from Trump Tower to a downtown Manhattan courtroom 
where the president's going to be, his business is going to be on trial for the next three months, even though it looks like a judgment taking away his business license and a fine of roughly $250 million has already been put out there by a judge, Ainsley Earhart here. Ainsley, there's no jury. There's no jury. Uh, His attorney did not request a jury, and I've talked to some attorneys about it who said they did think that that was was the right call. But this judge, Judge Arthur Ingoron, He's making it easier for Letitia James to just establish damages today, and it is unbelievable what's happening to Donald Trump. They're basically trying to take the business license away from him, his sons. Uh, they've made a lot of money. They own a lot of business here, uh, businesses here, and the judge has found Trump inflated the value of his properties mm. and his assets. Can you believe this? I mean, this, the same properties he had when he was hosting The Apprentice, the same properties he's right. had, Where the banks, the deals, the construction You're companies. Right. There's a, there is no problem. And this is it. You want to debate the documents? Okay. You want to debate, uh, you want to debate January 6th? Okay. You know, we know the side of that and should it, be, should it go forward. You want to debate the Georgia phone call? All right. You think the Ukraine thing would deserve impeachment? Go ahead. Have at it. Let's debate it. This, to me, is not debatable. Mm. This is pure politics. As dumb as Alvin Bragg's stupid lawsuit is that was universally just uh, just destroyed, this is even more aggressive, more damaging to the president. But politically, it is not going to hurt him, well, I don't, in my this view. judge is just incorrect. He was putting the value of Mar-a-Lago at $18 million. I mean, Brian, you know Florida like the back of your hand. If you have a piece of property and if you've never been down to Mar-a-Lago, one side is the beach because – uh, Palm Beach is just a long strip yeah. that runs parallel to West Palm Beach. So if you're on the island, which he is, you go over the bridge and there's Mar-a-Lago on your left. You can see the back of the house. It's on the intercoastal. You keep driving over the bridge. Now you're on Palm Beach and you can see the other side of Mar-a-Lago is facing the beach. So that piece of property would sell for Ken Griffin bought five pieces of property on on the other side of that bridge, and they are just on the beach, those five pieces. He paid $100 million for each piece and tore down those houses and is building one huge compound, I think, for his family and for his his mother-in-law. So $500 million he paid for five pieces of property. Mar-a-Lago is worth a lot more than $18 million. It's a prettier piece of property because you've got intercoastal and you have beach. I mean, you have that, and that's just an example you offer, Ainsley, of the undervaluing of the property he owns. They go, well, he has a penthouse that's, you said it's 33,000 feet. Instead, it's 11,000 feet. So you bring him to court on that? Are you crazy? You want to you want to give him a fine for, I don't know, did Citibank call up or or did uh, the, any bank call yeah, up and they're say making we got a problem? They get, Plus, don't they send they a justice? They gave him a loan. They, yeah, they're making money. There was no problem there. And they send the justice on their own. Yes, they don't they just do. take my the word about what my house is worth. Absolutely. So absolutely. I, just, I just find this incredible. But over the course of three months, and what they're doing now, too, is – they're trying to destroy – they're trying to say, okay, what is he known for? Well, he's a brash businessman. He's very successful. So now they're trying to say, well, you only got it because you're a fraud. And when you, you, you lost, and I'll prove it, you stole documents and you can't be trusted. And what happens is no one's listening because you look at the real clear average. He's up by two points on average. Mm-hmm. The last major poll, he was up by nine points. And now, they, now the Biden team has, has changed their tactics mm-hmm. Only going after Trump. They're not talking about Bidenomics anymore. Yeah, because he's the threat. Um, he's he's winning. The real clear politics. I love that because it's a, it's an average of all the polls that are out there. Yeah, I mean this is just. Um, 
I, I really feel sorry for him because he's trying to, they're trying to take away everything from him. They're trying to charge him a, a $251 million in penalties for this, Brian. I mean, what are they trying to do? Bankrupt him? Yes. Bankrupt his sons? Absolutely. Not allow him to run for office? They're going after him, throw him in prison? They're trying in all these liberal states to, to just go and attack Donald Trump. And I think it's going to help him when it comes to um, the election. And we're already seeing that. So, you know what? I think the next guy they're going to go after is Elon Musk. You said that this morning. Why do you think that? Because he's becoming more conservative? Number one, they go, uh, they're starting to look into the Department of Justice is looking into his government contracts. Really? Yeah, he's in a government contract to get to the space station and get to the moon. And satellites, which the government can use. And now they go, we are going to look into some problems with Tesla and equal opportunity uh, hiring. There's not enough minorities at Tesla plants. Really? Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah, and there's a bad attitude. Who's behind all this? Letitia? No, I, I think I think you you're looking at the Department of Justice. They got to really? get on the Elon yeah. Musk, and why is it? Yeah, all started with Twitter. This what does this sound like? This sounds like Cuba. How many people do we interview from countries? Yeah. These banana republic countries. Castro came in and bought. I mean. Uh, comp- families would have property or businesses in Cuba, okay. and Castro would just come in and say, "It's mine now." That's what I feel like we're heading toward. I know that. That's why I'm pointing this out. I don't care who you vote for. Maybe you want uh, you're a Republican. You want somebody else who is at the debate. That's fine. But this should not be acceptable. No, and, and I, Democrats need to stand up and say it's not acceptable. I, I would like to see Republicans. I mean, Vivek will. But I would say I don't care who you are on that stage. Say from what I could say from this case. This is this, he's being railroaded. Well, and, and, Ron DeSantis has said that about this one, about all of them. Yeah. OK, I'm glad he has because it's almost as if saying. If you're a, a Republican candidate, you have lost all your oxygen now for the next three or four days. So you got to go to Iowa and you put on your plaid shirt and go out to some farmers and you try to uh, win your caucus. But you're not going to get much national attention unless all your questions are going to be about Donald Trump. Right. Right, because this is going to be everyone's focus. And then they said this is going to last until December. This trial yes. goes on until December. Then there's that? going to be another one when in January. Then there'll be another one in March that is a few days before. Yeah. Um, and that's the hope for the Super rest Tuesday, of the field. Right? The hope for the rest of the field is we're going to be out campaigning. Do you really want a guy that's in court the whole time to be your next president? And my fear is that Democrats, if they realize that Biden's going to lose – because I don't I, I do think the Democrats had their chance and they've been a disaster. And I do feel as though if they feel that Biden's going to lose, they're going to open up. Well, this. let me ask you this. What if the shoe were on the other foot? If this were a Democrat and Republicans were doing this and Republican prosecutors and how how would Republicans react? Would, would they look at that and say, oh, yeah, he's a bad guy. I'm glad he's going down. I'm glad he has all these indictments. I'm glad. You know, how are the Democrats responding to this? Do they I mean, I know the other channels. I know that they're going to love this. They're going to love all of this. Their ratings are going to go up because. Right. I mean, you're seeing the other channels. Look at all the lawsuits, seven lawsuits. I just yeah. hope. And I wrote a member of the Trump team today. I go, how is your legal team? Are they are they up to this? Because you have a judge there that seems left wing that many who's, people feel is a very tight with Chuck Schumer. Who's the attorney assigned to this one? Is it Alina? No, she's only who, a spokesperson. OK, so she who, does not handle any cases. So I don't know these guys. I mean, their names don't stand out with me. But my thing, my thoughts is that they're getting paid from the campaign. So we'll wow. see what happens. Gosh, I mean, are they going to be successful with this? 
What well, happens? They'll well, just have to sell Trump Tower? They'll sell everything with Trump's name on well, it? Well, they're going to immediately appeal to an appellate court. Yes. And that appellate and then it court. could go to the Supreme Court, yeah, right? They, they don't, could, could, I don't know. If that appellate court goes, no, that was right for that judge to do it, I think they're forced to sell. The thing is, it goes into a, a uh, conservatorship mm-hmm. or receivership. Mm-hmm. I mean, somebody else sells it. But do you get the money? So you want to go sell Trump Tower? I don't know. Is this a good time to sell Trump Tower? But maybe he doesn't want to be in New York anyway, but they're trying to humiliate him. That's what they're trying to do. Gosh. All right. So uh, let's talk about something else. Last night, I cannot believe you stayed up and watched the Jets. You watched the Jets lose 23-20 to Kansas City. I did. Because you love football. (laughs) You love it. So I'm upstairs and downstairs people are screaming, turn on the TV. She's on. Taylor Swift in the house. So, and she was in the stands, right? Yes, yeah, so I'm watching some new murder mystery on Netflix, and I'm like, uh, I, who's in the house? What? And then I'm here, it's Taylor. It's Taylor Swift. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm going to watch the game. So I'm one of those. I caused the ratings to go up because I'm one of those women that didn't would never really watch that game. I'm just watching it. Sometimes I watch it if I'm in a room full of, you know, the guys yeah. in the house or whatever. But – um, when I'm by myself, yeah, I'd be watching Dateline or something like that or Fox maybe to prep for the what show. About, well, the celebrity, she, did she know she, she, she brought Ryan Reynolds? I know, Blake Lively. Yeah. I bet there were some other celebrities in there. We just don't know. I mean, do you <laughs> think anymore. that she called out celebrity friends or you think these are the people she hangs out with? I think, no, I think they all kind of, I think it's like like the the football players all hung out together in, in high school, the People who are like the out. people who like smoke hang out together on the back porch in my high school. The celebrities, they're like they only date each other. They only want to hang out with each other. They get each other. They get each other's schedules. They have more money than they know what to do with. They borrow each other's private planes. Right. This is like a different level. So right. Listen, this is a list. Right. So, I always say people are like, well, so, you know, I watch you on Fox and Friends and y'all are blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. But I'm just a normal human being. I'm a Z-list celebrity. Right. <laughs> These are A-listers, Brian. Well, A-listers, but most a lot of people who watch and listen to us yeah. aren't really into them. <laughs> so, like, I know. I, I know. Find that, no, I, find I know. That the Did you see? Culture. I saw on FoxNews.com, they went out into the – into it was on Clay Travis, Katie, his his reporter. Outkick? Went, oh, Outkick. Went out into the parking lot at the Jets game and was asking all the Jets fans, what do you think about Taylor Swift? They're like, we don't like her. We don't care about her. Ah, Tell ah. her to leave our stadium. Right. Because they were like legitimate fans and they were angry. Yes. They don't they're want her to distract they don't win. from. And you saw the prank last week where all of the girlfriends are saying to their boys or their boyfriends or their husbands, oh, no one kn- knew who Travis Kelsey was before this. And they're like, oh, yes, they did. <laughs> Two Super Bowls. What are you talking about? I thought those yeah. were great. Although here's Alina Hava speaking yeah. out. Uh, she does a good job uh, keeping everything together. Plus, yeah, she does. Yeah, she's got that Trump edge to her. A little Kellyanne yeah, Conway-ish. Uh-huh. She's from New Jersey. Yeah, she's she was on our show the other day. We have some mutual friends from New Jersey. And there's like Jason her. Miller. Uh, <laughs> this is the Trump team. Yeah, here uh, we go. Speaking out, sounding off. Um, yeah, so anyway, the game last night. Yeah, we did watch. Did you? What did you think of it? The, the Jets looked good. They yeah. almost, I was kind of hoping that they would win because I feel so sorry for Did you them. watch any of the hard knocks? I I've seen With, a few. So they got every. That yeah. was the second highest ever of Jets? the hard docs, and they've really? been doing it for forty years. And it was Aaron Rodgers the reason. Yeah, I uh, felt sorry for him watching him up right, there. Right, his Achilles sore, but he yeah. tear, but he was there last night. 
So the Jets fans were sky high. Now they're one and three after winning the first game. But their quarterback looked good. So do not give up on the Jets yet. That's all I'm saying. I, I'm pulling for their quarterback, too, because he's so young. How old right. is he? He has a baby face. He's 23. Okay. He's, you know, that, I guess they're all that and age, again, aren't That they? could be everybody if you use moisturizer. Am I right? Right. It's oil of Olay. He oil gets of it Olay? From his grandmother. And it's probably, did he get it through a multi-level marketing thing, or do you buy that in a store? He probably gets everything for free. You think so? Yes. <laughs> all right. Ailey's going to stick around for a few more minutes. Okay. Don't move. You listen to Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. They are protecting someone who has lied to the American people, lied to the United States House of Representatives, lied to congressional investigators, but they're fire, uh, filing a motion of to expel a member who, in a moment of panic, was trying to escape a vestibule? Give me a break. That is Rachel Campbell's Duffy. Am I correct, Allison? Oh, that was AOC? It sounded like Rachel. Really? Not RCD. It was AOC. Oh, okay. I thought it was, because what is she saying? Is she trying to make excuse for, uh, trying to make excuses? Yeah, yeah. Trying to escape a vestibule? Yes. It was a completely logical explanation. It didn't matter that it said fire and he pulled ah. it down. So you think that he was right to do it, Ainsley. I thought that was an odd stance to take. <laughs> you said you would have done the same thing? Oh, my goodness. We knew. I mean, I knew. What age do the kids learn, Allison? I would uh, never. Like uh, five years old, you learn never, ever, ever pull a fire alarm unless there's a fire. Like you knew that was just like the one of the golden rules growing up, right? Everyone knows that. So he went over and did it. Uh, there's an investigation. But, I mean – there's not one person in this world that would think if you pull the fire alarm, it's going to open that door. Did you hear what Kevin McCarthy said to us today? That he's already lawyered up. Yeah. So he goes, yeah. if, he, if he made an honest he, mistake, why are you calling a lawyer? He? So uh, the Well, other- in his defense, I would lawyer up if anyone came to, to talk to me these days because I don't trust any, anyone right. in the government. Do, do, I always thought they shoot ink at you. Do you ever get that? Remember when if you pull a fire alarm, it shoots ink at you? Eric, what? do you know what I'm talking no. about? No, that's like Bugs Bunny. What? No, it shoots ink at your, your hands. They used to have, like, dye capsules in them. Yes. I think Seriously? when I was in elementary school, yeah. Yeah, I always thought that they were going to shoot it at you. And either you're going to be a Why? Because then they would know who did Absolutely. it? Absolutely. You know exactly who did it. It shoots, it shoots ink at you. I've never heard of that, ever. So if That's I said so that on the air, you would have thought I was kidding. <laughs> yeah. I was just picturing, like, Bugs Bunny, like, the gun, you shoot the gun and the sign says bang, something like that. No, like, like when you like, they want to find out who's doing make false laws. Yeah, I got cause... it. I understand. I just had never heard that they did that. Yeah. So here, uh, Nicole Maliotakis is yes. actually coming after him uh, for this. She wants him expelled. Did you talk to her today? Yes. And you, did, do you think she's got something? Well, I mean, she said she just said it's not. We need to have fair treatment, and many are saying, "Well, you know, this is." She said, "I said, well, isn't the punishment a misdemeanor?" And she said, actually, no, because it's Congress. I believe that was the reason. It would be a felony. Wow. And Yeah. So she wants the same treatment of um, the January 6th folks. Right. Solitary confinement. Uh, here is Jason Chaffetz on the rationale behind his move. Cut 30. 
This was roll call vote number 513. That means it's the 513th time this Congress has voted on the floor of the House. Are you telling me this is the first time you didn't know how to get to the floor of the House? For the 513th time they had to call a vote, you suddenly had to pull the alarm? Oh, how convenient your excuse is. So no one's buying it, and we'll see if anything what happens. You, what do you think should happen to him? Uh, oh, man, he's, there's got to be set up by retribution, especially at this coordinator. I'd like to see his phone. I know that Speaker McCarthy said doesn't believe that Akeem Jeffries would ever tell him to do something like that. But why would he do that? He knows it would delay everything. They do the magic minute, which means you can filibuster. I did, all this stuff is kind of new to me. Uh-huh. But I never really get to this point in congressional transactions. But they do a magic minute. I'm watching Akeem Jeffries give some type of rally. He goes on and on and on. When he's done, then comes the alarm, yeah. and they were going to do the vote. You know, they only made it by 45 minutes. Really? So, well, so this Jamal Bowman, he's, he represents New York, super, super liberal. He's in the squad. I mean, super progressive. He uh, called himself a socialist, by the way. What? He called himself a socialist. Okay. So back, I think it was in February when all the Donald Trump stuff was happening, or maybe it was March with all the investigations. He said, he tweeted out, no one is above the law. So if we find out that he did that intentionally and he was following orders to try to delay the vote, then there has to be a consequence for that. I mean, if you're a kid in school, you're getting expelled. And you as a principal. He was a principal at a school. And then Lawrence, how about Lawrence this morning on Fox and Friends? He pulled out the rules of that school where he was a principal. And in the rules, it says if you do this, you will get expelled or suspended. Right. I I would fully expect to be expelled or suspended. Ainsley, do you have any events coming up? Yeah, I'm going to a cancer lunch um, to raise money for cancer. Today? Today. Okay. Is there a number? I need to get my nails done. And you got to get your nails done before that. Yes. And then I have an event tonight. What's What's on your calendar? From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I hope you had a fantastic weekend. We come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. We're a few blocks away. Donald Trump is now speaking live, talking about what's happening with his New York City civil fraud trial. It's a joke. It's a sham. That's what he's saying. And you know what? I agree. There's nobody gets hurt except the attorney general thinks, oh, Donald Trump will use fraudulent information and appraisals in order to get good deals from insurance companies and banks. They have their own people to evaluate that. So we'll bring you the latest. Michael Goodwin standing by with his perspective from the New York Post. And then Chris Christie at the bottom of the hour. Governor Chris Christie, I'm very curious how he feels about this because he is obviously a critic of President Trump on a few things. But he has pointed out when he thinks it's ridiculous targeting. This, to me, is pure politics. I don't know what Chris Christie's going to say on this because I have a sense that he's a law and order guy. He also knew President Trump when he was just a realtor and he was governor. I think they met right before he became governor. He was attorney general. And I think that he'll feel the same way I do. We'll say let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Why run against Trump? I mean, let's face it, Ron. If this if campaign was going well, you wouldn't be on this show. One, I don't think he can win the election. Uh, I could win the election. Two, I don't think he could actually get the job done that we need to do. Uh, there it is. Uh, Ron DeSantis doing something I think is great. Bill Marshall. DeSantis got a new game plan. Governor Haley's gaining momentum, and Donald Trump is dominating. We examine that, and President Biden's lost summer. They decided to sell Bidenomics. The American people said no. 
It is a fail. Now they go back to their old playbook. Vilify Trump. Number two. Yes, I'll survive. You know, this is personal with Matt. Matt voted against the most conservative ability to protect our border, secure our border. He's more interested in securing TV interviews than doing something. Shut down, averted, but turmoil hits turbo speed as Speaker McCarthy does a deal with Dems and funds the government for six weeks. Matt Gates coming after his job. Other members coming after Gates. Man, the drama, we have it. Number one. The polls bear this out, and uh, they don't want to run against me. I'm the last one. If they wanted to run against me, I wouldn't have had four indictments so far. I consider it a great badge of honor because I'm being indicted for you. Trump on trial with four trials looming. He starts a major civil trial today, which has has his hard-earned business empire in peril. Why I believe this is pure politics and why Elon Musk is next. Just watch. They'll be harder, but just watch. Michael Goodwin joins us now for the New York Post. Michael Goodwin, always great to talk to you. Your thoughts about the, the carnivals back in town. <laughs> Good morning, Brian. Yes. Uh, Donald Trump never travels alone, right? It's, uh, it's a whole show that comes with him. Um, look, I think uh, the civil case in New York that he's fighting now is <clears throat> excuse me, one of the worst examples um, of just overreach of, of real – it's more persecution than it is prosecution. The Attorney General Letitia James campaigned, campaigned on getting Donald Trump. That was that was while he was president. Um, so she has kept her word, but it's a disgrace, and it just shows that the that the law is malleable, that it can be used to target people. And I think if you if you study this case and you see this, then you study the other cases, and you can begin to see that sometimes there are legitimate issues involved. Other times, it's a stretch. And why, is, why are they stretching? It's because it's Donald Trump. It's because they're all Democrats. So Letitia James is a Democrat. Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan District Attorney, is a Democrat. Uh, the prosecutor in Georgia, a Democrat. And, of course, the, the two federal cases, both brought by uh, appointees of Merrick Garland after Joe Biden made it clear that he wanted Donald Trump prosecuted. So it's very hard to look at these cases with a clear eye and say that, oh, these are matters of law. I think having spoken to a number of lawyers about this, including people who were close to Trump and are close to Trump, uh, the, the document case is the most solid real case under federal law. And everything else feels like it has a lot of hair on it. And even the document case, then, you have to say, is Joe Biden being treated the same way over classified documents? Was Hillary Clinton treated the same way yeah. over classified documents? So all of these cases, you begin to see reasons to doubt them. And then finally, you add in, this is the first president in American history to be indicted after leaving office. And you have have to say, was that precedent, were these, were the facts in these cases worth breaking that precedent? Because I think the horse is out of the barn now, and I think every future former president is going to have to watch his back. I mean, it, it begs the question, Brian, were all the previous 
presidents who left office, were they angels? <clears throat> yeah. or, or, or did we know something about what holds society And would they together? be going after him if he wasn't running again? Well, that's right. That's right. And that makes it, again, a special, inter- a special issue that looks like it's only for Donald Trump. And society cannot do that. You cannot ha- say, well, we have all these laws, but we're going to break them just for this individual. It doesn't work like that. Once you break them, you break them. All right. I want you to hear some of the, uh, the remarks from President Trump, uh, former President Trump, minutes ago. This is a continuation of the single greatest witch hunt of all time. We have a rogue judge who rules that properties are worth a tiny fraction, one one hundred, a tiny fraction of what they actually are. We have a racist attorney general who's a horror show who ran on the basis that she was going to get Trump before she even knew anything about me. She used this to run for governor. She failed in her attempt to run for governor. She had virtually no polling. She came back and she said, well, now I'll go back to get Trump again. And this is what we have. It's a scam. It's a sham. And you got it. And if he has decent lawyers, I don't know if it matters. Because this judge is just a judge who's basically already ruled and agreed with everything Letitia James has brought up. What are they going to be going over for the next three months? I mean, this guy's going to change his mind. I have a report now from someone close to the Trump camp that they have proof this guy's best friends with Chuck Schumer. You think Chuck Schumer likes Trump? <laughs> Look, I, and I think the judge has already prejudged the case. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty clear. And, you know, Brian, I've talked to both bankers and others and lawyers in real estate, and they all say if Trump is guilty of a crime, then so is every other real estate developer in New York. Because that values change constantly. Of course, you're going to be optimistic. Put the most optimistic spin on your on your property when you're going for a mortgage or a loan. But is that a crime? I mean, when the bankers got paid back, I mean, I, I don't understand the logic of the de- of the indictment here. It sort of says, well, let's freeze it in this moment and say it wasn't worth that. Therefore, that's a crime. I mean, that's sort of the same thing that the Manhattan District Attorney did in terms of the hush money to Stormy Daniels, that it, at, it's, it's a bookkeeping misdemeanor. But if we stretch them together, we can say it's a felony. I mean, this is stretching for political purposes. And, and I, it, it breaks my heart to say that, Brian, because I want more prosecutions in New York. I want more bad people Real arrested people. Yes. and prosecuted. But if this is – these people, these people don't do that. They don't arrest the real criminals. They they hunt for politically convenient people they can target. That is not what government should be doing. That's not that's an abuse of the law. Uh, that's what I think. Let's talk about what happened with the shutdown, lockdown. The shutdown was avoided, uh, and it looks like as though Speaker McCarthy called up Akeem Jeffries and said, "I'm putting some on there. I'm going to take out border money. You take out Ukraine money, and we're going to just pass it." And they did. They got $16 billion in emergency funding money. And it looks like Akeem Jeffries feels like he won. Cut three. It was a victory for the American people and a complete and total surrender by right-wing extremists who throughout the year have tried to hijack the Congress. 
That is uh, Akeem Jeffries. He thinks he's going to be speaker, as this goes. Your your thoughts on the chaos? Well, look, I I, I was struck, Brian, by a couple of things. First of all, I think that the solution is fine. Shutting down the government, it's just a failure to do your job. And so I'm basically okay with any short-term solution. Now there's time to do something more sensible, which is what the Republicans promised. They would do the 12 appropriation bills, and they would do a real budget instead of this big omnibus thing where everything gets crammed in and nobody reads it. But the other thing is just, of course, the media coverage. When you, The other day you had 20, I think it was 21 Republicans voting against it. And it failed in the first party line vote. And all the headlines, New York Times, PBS, everywhere, you know, hardliners defeat. No one seemed to care that every Democrat also voted against it. So the 21 hardline Republicans, wouldn't we then call the 198 Democrats hardline leftists or something? I mean, yeah. it's just this, this messaging from the media, I think, obscures more than it reveals. And MAGA. Yes, the MAGA. It's, all, it's all code words now. And so I think it's very hard for the public to really understand the stakes, to understand the issues, to understand the points of view. Look, I think Matt Gates uh, is an excellent talker, but he's a showman. And I'm not really quite sure in the end what he stands for except Matt Gates. And I think, I think Kevin McCarthy is not the strongest leader. But I think he is about as effective and efficient as the Republicans can hope to have right now. So I I think that he is doing a decent job of trying to move everything forward. I mean, look, I have always thought that being a legislative leader is the hardest job in politics because you're trying to herd all of these cats, all of whom are professional politicians, too. So you can't really do the old bromides. You've got to really address them uh, because they, they understand the stakes. They understand the legislation. They understand what's in it and what's not in it. And I agree with the Republican hardliners in that you've got to fix the budget process and this issue of the ukraine money i think they are doing a real service by bringing it to the nation's attention there's a lot of skepticism about ukraine these days i mean they've canceled elections they've shut down churches i mean there's a lot going on the churches were uh, the churches were uh adhesed to russia that was the problem Yes, I understand that, but but still, would we shut down churches here because of what they were saying? I mean, there is no look. I know Ukraine is not America, uh, and it doesn't have the freedoms. It doesn't have the constitution we have. Nonetheless, I I, I do think that Zelensky is not quite the the patron saint that he's been made out to be. I think there are a lot of issues there. The fact that he fired, you know, all of his top defense people right before he came to Washington over corruption, supposedly. What took so long, and what was the timing of that? Was that just to clean it up when you come to Washington asking for more money? I think there are, we don't know where all the money is going. Meanwhile, we're told we can't afford to secure our own border, or we don't have the political will to secure our Yeah, we our just own can't quit border. another country. we got to figure out a way to go in there, win this thing, and let them fight. They fight like uh, Spartans. Uh, Russia cannot prevail again. It'll be a mini Saigon and a major Afghanistan, just like that. America goes in, know where, where, we'll just wait them out, and you'll get exactly what you want. So 
they, they should use this as a way to pick up the pace, get the attackums in there, 31 tanks, train up the pilots, and let them win. Because Russia has lost 50% of their fighting force, and they've been exposed as thugs stealing, uh, actually kidnapping children and bringing them in for re-education in, uh, in Russia. Uh, to me, there's clearly a bad guy here, and it is Russia. No question. No question about that. But the United States, I think, uh, and Biden has been careful not to expand the war too quickly. On the other hand, he's been too slow yes. to help to help Ukraine because this has become a stalemate. And, I mean, all this, uh, you know, so much media cheerleading about a spring offensive from Ukraine, a counter, it, it really came to nothing. There was no real change in the, in the overall map of the battlefield. So I, I do think that the strategy bears some reexamination. And I think the fact that Republicans are focused on the money is not a bad place to start because it does put pressure on the administration to be more efficient yep. and more effective in the aid. And, and I don't know if you saw it, but i got to go. But the Wall Street Journal has a report that Jake Sullivan met with the foreign secretary in China in Malta, and now he, that foreign secretary wants to meet with, uh, with Russia. So I don't know if something's going on behind the scenes. But they know time's not on Russia's side, it's not on Ukraine's side, and it's not on our side. So uh, it would be in everyone's best interest for this thing to end. We know that. But how it ends, it can end with a Russian victory, however it's perceived. Uh, thanks so much, Michael. We'll continue to watch the proceedings right now where the cameras were up until the gaveled in. The judge was smiling and everyone's having such a great time. You can see the cameras in the, uh, in the, uh, in the courtroom, but I think they're out now. All right. Thanks so much. Back in a moment. Michael Goodwin, New York Post. Your call's next. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back. We just got a couple of minutes here as we continue to monitor activities. Uh, continue to monitor activities in the courtroom. We had, for a brief time, cameras in the courtroom, but the judge ruled against it. And I'll tell you, optics-wise, you see this judge with a big smile, like, oh, you caught me, almost like a family film. Like, oh, let me adjust my hair. And then you see Letitia James smiling and satisfied behind, and Donald Trump sitting there stern with his legal team, saying, what the hell am I doing here? Keep in mind, this is October, October 2nd. This is going to be going until December And I think there's a reason why Donald Trump wanted to be here on day one and maybe day two. He wants to send a message that they're going after my empire. He spoke. He had the whole world watching. Now he's got sound bites rolling out on every channel. He spoke for about four or five minutes extemporaneously, just what he thought of the case. And now it's ridiculous. They're attacking the worth of his properties, not even alleging fraud, fraud, uh, fraudulent activity. Howard, you're listening over in Nebraska on, on COIL. What's on your mind? Uh, Brian, I think that uh, I like Michael Goodwin very much, but to do like DeSantis did and, and cast these aspersions, these sow these doubts ap- among American public opinion about uh, unnecessarily uh, wrongfully, you know, about their political parties that are nothing but Putin's, um, an arm of Putin's efforts and the churches, that, what he's doing in the churches, it's sowing down in the American public, it's dangerous. Yeah, I, I disagree. 
you know, we, I don't have to agree with everything everybody says. Michael's a great guy, but I totally disagree. What's happening in churches, a lot of these, these Russian priests and whatever they're called, cardinals, they're, they're the ones, they're loyal to Russia. And if they're out there spouting the evils of, this, of the Ukrainian government in the middle of a war, you've got to take some extreme action, knowing that your entire country is a war zone thanks to the indiscriminate bombing by the Russians, correct? Absolutely correct. Yeah, but everyone's entitled to their opinion. And believe me, Howard, I think you see the the merit of us supporting Ukraine. A lot fewer people are, but I'm not going to back off. I know I'm right. Ukraine just needs the utensils, needs what's necessary to win. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The crime is against me because we have a corrupt district attorney, but we have a corrupt attorney general. And it all comes down from the DOJ. They're totally coordinated this in Washington because I'm leading. I'm the leading candidate. I'm leading Biden by 10 points. And I'm leading the Republicans by 50 and 60 points. That's pretty much, they say, over. I never accept that, but they say it's over. This has to do with election interference, plain and simple. They're trying to damage me so that I don't do as well as I'm doing in the election. Our country's gone to hell. We have a country that's in decline, serious decline. We have a man running our country who has no clue, doesn't know what he's doing, and you know it better than anybody because you have to cover him. Uh, That is uh, President Biden, who rarely gives interviews or press conferences and has trouble leaving the stage. Uh, That he did sit down with John Harwood for some easy questions, and we'll discuss that. But the president of the United States this hour uh, went into court and is sitting now in the courtroom uh, waiting the beginning of a civil trial on uh, his businesses, all of it. And they say that he lied and committed fraud fraud by overinflating overinflating the values of his businesses. Okay, really? Okay. Uh, We'll see how this goes. Uh, So far, you heard from President Trump before. You heard from today. And over the weekend, uh, he spoke in Iowa. I think it's a good idea. People say it shows that uh, Trump is an internal number show he's not doing as well, being that he's going to Iowa and New Hampshire. I just think he's doing the right thing. Because people are on him when he doesn't show up, and they say, well, you're mailing it in, you just think it's uh, anointed to you. And when he does show up, it goes, oh, it shows he's panicking. I don't buy that at all. But I think 2024 is uh, that second debate, I think, helped DeSantis. And I hope to agree. Degree help Nikki Haley. And I think uh, Chris Christie did pretty well, too. But he lives in that format. I mean, that's one of his finest formats. But you see that Newt Gingrich and some others are calling for an end to the debates. Instead of having one in Alabama in October, they're now looking for they're now looking for November. Uh, Here is uh, Governor Chris Christie. Governor, I thought we were going to be in Alabama for the next debate. That's not going to happen. It doesn't seem. Like Miami, uh, Brian. And so. Wherever, wherever we are, I'll show up. I'll be there, and I'll be ready to go. But the really important issues in our country, and 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 why we need someone who could beat Joe Biden. Because every day you talk to Biden, it gets worse. Well, we're talking to Governor Christie, who just trying to straighten out his signal. There, he comes to us from uh, from New Jersey, but the President of the United States is in uh, Midtown Manhattan, where he's going to sit on day one of what should be a three month trial. Now, one thing, Governor, nobody knows the law like you know it. You also know the inner workings of uh, state law of New Jersey and New York State. There is nobody complaining about Donald Trump, not the banks, not the insurer, not the construction, 
Um, nobody is complaining, but they decide to look at his businesses and say, you've committed fraud. How can you come to any other conclusion except for they're targeting this guy? Brian, I'm really sorry. I, you, you broke up there for a second and I missed part of the question. I'm sorry about the cell but um, could you repeat the question for me? Oh, no problem. Um, counselor, I'll repeat it one more time for you and your legal team. I, I, I know you've, you know, obviously you've been very critical of the president, but you've also been very candid. There are certain times where you look at these different cases and say, well, that was self-inflicted. That was self-inflicted. That was overextension. I look at this case and I've been watching it for a while, just from a civilian perspective. And I'm seeing the fraud they're bringing forward, saying that his penthouse was 11, uh, 30,000 instead of 11,000. Uh, saying that Mar-a-Lago is $18 million when most uh, ever the real estate experts say it's $300 million. Is this the type of case you think is necessary to bring now? And are you wrong to conclude, as someone to conclude like me, that this is smells of politics? Well, look, I think, Brian, you're right, that there, with the stuff that's going on in New York, there are elements of politics in all of it. I mean, I just don't think that that's avoidable. I've said it about the indictment in New York, as you know. Yeah, I know you do. I think should not have been brought. Um, I think it was wrong to bring it. Um, and I think it demeans the other very serious issues that Donald Trump faces in, in, in two of the other cases. Um, <clears throat> but what I would say is this. The, the only thing about the fraud case that makes any sense to me is – you know, Mar-a-Lago, if it were truly a residential property, would be worth a lot of money, a, a lot more than $18 million, given what I've seen things sell for in Palm Beach. The problem is Donald Trump turned it into a commercial property. Um, he turned it into a club with members. He bought it initially to be his residence, but then couldn't afford it and decided to make it a, a commercial place where people go and, 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 and it diminishes the value of it. I don't think it's $18 million. But I don't think it's what he says either. Um, in the end, um, I think that what we should be doing here is focusing on the much more important issues regarding his conduct as president and not the stuff of his conduct when he was a real estate developer. Um, and so I would agree with you. There's a lot of element of politics here. But in the end, he's all, some of that is self-inflicted, too. So I would say it was a combination of the two on the fraud case. Um, but I think it was totally wrong as to the criminal case against him in New York. So this is, I, I wanted to ask the lawyer this, and um, it said this, it has a club designation, it reverts to residential in the event that you ever decide not to operate it as a club or change his hand. Mar-a-Lago pretty much makes $18 million in revenue a year. Uh, so that's how ridiculous it is. And do you want, what I don't understand too is the judge seems to have made an opinion. And again, this is my lack of going to law school. But the judges made an opinion before the trial starts that should last three months. He said almost everything Letitia James put in that, her case, he accepted. He goes, yeah, we're going to take his license away. We might even put it into receivership. We're still deciding. Let's start the trial. Since when do you make a decision before the trial? Well, the problem is that his lawyers made a decision to put it in the judge's hands. Um, instead of having a jury trial, they wanted a judge to make certain legal determinations um, on his own, and he's also going to be the finder of fact. So this was a decision by Trump's legal team to do it this way. I think they now regret it. Um, but I, I, they made that decision, Brian. And so um, I, I, I understand why people are confused by it, because you'd think, well, a lot of these things need to be determined in the, in the course of a trial with testimony. Unfortunately for Donald Trump, 
the legal team he hired. And let's face it, um, you got to ask a lot of questions about the lawyers that he's hired to represent him in all of these matters because I don't think they've represented him all that well. That may be their fault. That may be his, or it may be a combination of both. And I think you're seeing indications why really great, great lawyers won't represent Donald Trump because he makes – Besides putting aside the legal fee issue and whether he pays or not, he, he also doesn't allow them to make the decisions. He doesn't follow advice. And I think that the decision, whoever made it, whether it was Donald Trump, his lawyers, or a combination of both, to put this judge in charge, I think is something that they're really regretting now. Right. I mean, what other judge do you expect to get? Evidently, he's tight with Chuck Schumer. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. if, you know, you know, you're going to get a fair trial. So then they say, if let's say you go, let's say after three months in December, they go, that's it. Can you commit a fraud? You can't commit business in New York. And we're going to take all your properties and put it into receivership. So, of course, you want to appeal that. And that goes where? Do you know? Sure. It will go to the New York, um, it'll go to the New York Intermediate Appellate Court and ultimately to the New York Court of Appeals, which is the, the equivalent of a state Supreme Court. In New York, they call it the New York Court of Appeals. It's their top court. But that would take time, and it would probably take a couple of years, Brian. Um, my guess is what they would do is they would probably stay the judge's order pending the appeal, so it probably wouldn't have an impact on his ability to run his businesses um, or his family to run his businesses um, for the next few years, even if he were to get a determination against him at the end of right. the trial, Judge. So my guess is that this is going to be, as with most things in the legal system, especially the civil legal system, a years-long um, uh, appeals and the, the final appeal, because it's on state law, unless there was something implicated with the U U.S. Constitution, which I can't imagine, um, I, I would say this is going to be something that would ultimately go to the highest court in the state of New York, which is the New York Court of Appeals. And before that, though, um, it would go to an intermediate appellate court in New York. So this is my guess is, Brian, top to bottom. This won't be resolved until sometime in 2025. Unbelievable. Yeah, you know, uh, it's incredible how much legal fees he has, too. I think that's another thing. Well, what also bothers me, I know you said there was a reason for his attorneys to become witnesses against their client. Uh, they also got rid of his his uh, accounting team. They said, yeah, we want, you know, we, they asked him a few questions, and the accounting team divorced themselves from their accounting, that they signed off on his tax forms. They did the assessments. They did the paperwork. No one thinks Donald Trump's doing his own paperwork. And the accounting team said, yeah, we're not representing him anymore. Really? So the accounting my, team was signed. How does that happen? My guess is, Brian, that um, the accounting team determined that they were given false or inflated or un, somehow untrue information by the client. And when that happens, then that gives them an option to walk away from their opinion because it was based on things that weren't true. Um, and, you know, when you're doing accounting work, you're usually not doing due diligence on your own client. You're taking your client's representations and the paperwork that they give you as being true, and then you give them tax advice and do tax preparation based off of that. So my understanding in this was that when those folks came to the conclusion that they were not given information that was completely candid, that that gave them the opportunity to walk off of their opinion, and they did. Um, and I think that's exactly what happened. And I think it's a cautionary tale to everybody who works with both legal professionals and accounting professionals. You know, garbage in, garbage out, Brian. If you don't give your professionals 
accurate information, complete information, whatever opinions they give you afterwards, you're not necessarily going to be able to rely upon. And certainly on the legal team, um, you know, that's why his lawyer at the time suspecting in the documents case that he that the client was not being honest with him was doing um, voice memos after each meeting to protect himself. And ultimately, when it came clear that he did not tell the truth about all the documents he had and whether he was turning them over to the lawyers and in reaction to the subpoena to the government, uh, that invoked a crime fraud exception to the attorney-client privilege. Um, and they, Trump, uh, as it appears, committed a fraud on his own lawyers by not telling them the truth. And then they have an, a legal obligation, not an option, but an obligation to give their testimony to uh, to the prosecutors. So judging by the type of prosecutors that put the 75 CFO, Alan Weisenberg, in Rikers Island for about, I don't know, six months, a year, that, that yep. mindset, right, because he to use some of the company funds to get his kids, his grandkids private school, which if we don't crack down on that, the city will never be safe. And uh, to also use government funds for his private car service. Judging whether they put him in Rikers Island for that, could you see a scenario where they go up to the accounting firm and say, hey, listen, I understand you might not have been told truthful and uh, told everything the truth, even though you signed off on everything. Uh, maybe we don't look at your other clients if you just walk away right now. Could that be a scenario that you could see happening? I think it's unlikely, Brian. Um, I think that any squeezing of the accounting firm by the attorney general's office or by other prosecutors has probably already occurred. Um, And I don't think you'll see anything different going forward. Um, So, you know, at least in my experience, I would think that would be an unlikely approach here. So Chris Christie had two really good debates. No one looked at the debates and said, wow, he doesn't really know what he's doing. So people getting reintroduced to you again. Uh, I know New Hampshire's been your focus. What do you expect to do in Iowa? Look, Brian, you know, we're going to monitor what the race looks like in Iowa and whether we want to go in there. We're still very early in early October. You're still four months away from it. Except for, for Donald Trump, it doesn't appear anyone has co- you know, brought together any type of significant support out in Iowa. And so you continue to make strategic judgments. We're spending most of our time in New Hampshire and South Carolina because that's where we believe we have the best chance to be able to make inroads against Donald Trump. And as you know, um, that's been my focus right from the beginning um, for no other reason but the fact that he's ahead. You've got to run against the guy who's in front of you. And it seems to me that my approach is starting to convince other people in the field. You saw Ron DeSantis of late going after Donald Trump in a way that he never would before. You now see Nikki Haley throwing a a couple of shots at Donald Trump, which she would never do before. I think people are starting to understand that the approach I've taken from the beginning is the only chance you have of defeating him. And so we're going to look at the best places we have to defeat him, and that's where I'm going to spend my time and, most importantly, the resources that my donors have shared with me. So over the weekend, you saw the antics that took place on Capitol Hill. Matt Gates stand up, calls out, and will try to take out Kevin McCarthy. Uh, you saw people like Matt Rosendale say, I'm not voting for any CR. Andy Biggs, the same thing. I never saw that under Nancy Pelosi. You heard rumors of it, but never heard of it. What is your take as a fellow Republican about what you saw over the weekend? I think it's a complete failure, a complete failure on the part of our caucus to get the job done the way they need to. And the problem is that the overwhelming majority of our caucus wanted to accept a deal that would have given a lot of funding to border security, 
would have cut spending by nearly 10 percent um, and, and, and would have also, I think, given much needed additional aid to Ukraine. And instead, you have, you know, a small handful of the caucus who decide that they're unwilling to participate in that deal led by Matt Gates, it seems. Um, and look, I think it, it's time for the rest of the caucus to have a confrontation with these with these folks and, and let them know that your job is to go down there and govern. And they walked away from what I consider to be not by any means a perfect deal, but a much better deal than any other deal you could get with the Democrats controlling the Senate. And I think they blew it. Um, I think it was a big mistake. I hope Matt Gates tries to take out Kevin McCarthy because I think Kevin McCarthy will survive that attempt and it'll diminish Matt Gates and some of these other folks who don't seem interested in governing and just seem interested in clickbait um, so they can get more donations from people who are rightfully angry about all the dysfunction in Washington. All right, uh, Governor Chris Christie out and about and on the road. Thanks so much, Governor. Best of luck. Brian, thanks. Look forward to being on again soon. Thanks for having me on. You got it. Uh, Listen, when we come back, I'll squeeze in some calls and get your final thoughts on the breaking news with Trump on trial again. New York City. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. So there's a bit of a deluge uh, of wet, wet weather in the Northeast on Friday. We're still going to go to Harry Hurley's over in Atlantic City. Does an incredible job. He owns that city. Uh, grew up there with a the high school there. Now is the number one radio voice and personality uh, in the city. Actually worked to one of the Trump hotels and got to know the former president quite well, who always does his show. And hopefully we'll be doing ours soon. But it was my privilege to be down there and have a chance to speak. Uh, not only to a great group of uh, a thousand people giving up their money on their time for a great cause to help out uh, the people in the area of need. And if you go to Harry Hurley, uh, Harry Hurley's website, you'll see where to, to find out more about his charity. Uh, and you see Harry in the morning. If you're in the, if you're in, uh, the Jersey area, uh, Hurley in the Morning is one of the best shows. And Hurley in the Morning Charity is what it's for. But it was just an honor to have Harry have me to come down there and speak. And I had a chance to talk about what made America exceptional, and that's through the books from George Washington's Secret Six to Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, to Andrew Jackson, Miracle of New Orleans, to Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, and then the President of Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and the new one that comes out November 7th, which I actually spoke about for the first time that night, and that was it's Teddy and Booker T, our two American icons blazed a path towards racial equality and let people know why we're an exceptional nation. And if you want to see me talk about all this stuff with a lot of uh, supporting elements, production value, go to the Vogel in Red Bank, New Jersey. You can go to Ponte Vedra, WOKV in Huntsville, Alabama, and Montgomery, BrianKilme.com. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hello. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Uh, Matt Taibbi will be with us in a matter of moments from Racket News and everything else. Uh, Josh Kroshauer will be here, too, uh, political analyst. And you know that he writes for Axios. 
as well as editor-in-chief of uh, the Jewish Insider. And we are watching the developments as much as we could with cameras inside of Donald Trump on trial in New York City. And, man, what optics. The judge sees the camera there for pretrial. Evidently doesn't want the, doesn't want the camera there for the whole three months. But has, as with the camera gets near him, he takes his glasses off and adjusts his hair, gives a big smile. Letitia James looking so proud in the second row. And Trump just sitting there staring straight ahead after giving probably a four-minute speech about how unjust it is. And I'll tell you, even Trump haters have to say, you're not helping. Uh, you're not helping uh, Joe Biden here. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Why run against Trump? I mean, let's face it, Ron. If this if campaign was going well, you wouldn't be on this show. One, I don't think he can win the election. Uh, I could win the election. Two, I don't think he could actually get the job done that we need to do. And that is why Ron DeSantis is running. His new game plan is to only go at Trump. Uh, Nikki Haley getting momentum and now has a nickname from President Trump, who is dominating. We examine that and Joe Biden's lost summer of selling Bidenomics. It has been a flop. Now he's going to spend all his time going after, drumroll please, Donald Trump. Number two. Yes, I'll survive. You know, this is personal with Matt. Matt voted against the most conservative ability to protect our border, secure our border. He's more interested in securing TV interviews than doing something. That is uh, Kevin McCarthy, one of the most extraordinary weekends I can imagine. The shutdown is averted, but turmoil hits turbo speed. As Speaker McCarthy does, a deal with the Dems and funds the government for six weeks. Matt Gates is coming after his job. Other members might be coming after Gates. We'll discuss. Number one. The polls bear this out, and uh, they don't want to run against me. I'm the last one. If they wanted to run against me, I wouldn't have had four indictments so far. I consider it a great badge of honor because I'm being indicted for you. And But I'd have to say he also must consider it quite stressful. When you think Trump run trial with four trials looming, he starts a major civil trial today in New York City. His business empire is in peril. Why I believe it's pure politics and why Elon Musk is probably next. Joining us now is Matt Taibbi. He's been following all this. And look, I don't care who you vote for, and you'll never know who Matt's going to vote for by talking to him. He's just following stories. And the latest story is another one. Matt, first off, I don't know if you had a chance to watch television over the last hour or so and seen, seen Trump Lee go into, uh, go into the courtroom. Have you had a chance to see this? No, no. I, I, what, what were they showing? Well, first off, you see the fleet of SUVs. And then everything stops. All the all the cameras go. And then he walks in. Letitia James goes to the steps and makes some case that Donald Trump has to be stopped. And then he goes inside and holds court with all the cameras for about four or five minutes and just talks about how he's going to back up his empire and talk about how what he did was right on the money. And now it's going to be another legal fight. It's impossible for these candidates, even if you had Eisenhower and Lincoln running, to get any oxygen. <laughs> Well, that's true. Yeah. And that's part of the reason that some of these prosecutions, I think, are ill-considered. They they really think that they're going to be political headshots and they're not, not in this environment. Yeah, headshots, you mean as in kill shots, right? It's going to be right, over. Yeah. But I've never seen anything quite like it. And you've been astounded, too. I personally think this. I know uh, Elon Musk was one of the first people to call you after he, he called you right after he bought Twitter. And named it to X, and he said, "Check out these Twitter files. I'm just I, whatever you see, you see. Report what you get." And mm-hmm. almost since that time, he went from the darling of America and the left to, I think he's heading down the Trump way of investigations. They already got two on him. 
He's not. He does not equal opportunity employer, evidently. Some discrimination at Tesla, they claim. And now they're looking into his government contracts. So already he feels like he must be targeted. I guess you know the feeling. Yeah, although I'm sure he he's uh, much more familiar with it than uh, than I am. I mean, even, even when the Twitter file started, it was obvious to all of us, at least we we had heard that there were already pretty serious advertiser boycotts that were being instituted. Um, we heard that there was an FTC investigation going on. So I think he knew those consequences when he when he bought the company and certainly when he did the Twitter files. Uh, so you, this weekend, you had a chance to really pub, uh, publish a story about Anthony Fauci, and people have different opinions of him. Mine went south when I saw how political he was. I know about his reputation in the 80s. But as it's been exposed, what he was up to behind the scenes, can you give our listeners an understanding of what you were able to find out and what's been public uh, since we had a chance to see, and he's, he's now retired, about how he was manipulating findings behind the scenes? Sure. And, you know, first of all, Brian, I mean, I'm, I'm like you. I, I didn't um, have particular opinions about Anthony Fauci. In fact, because I you know, don't have uh, scientific expertise, I sort of stayed away from the COVID story as a reporter. And, yep. Um, didn't have strong feelings about it until the Twitter files when we started to realize that COVID was was a central issue be, because it was a new form of censorship that they were flirting with with, co- with COVID. With a lot of the other topics, they were looking at things that were openly factually untrue. With COVID, they were looking into the minds of posters and trying to figure out whether those people were, even if they were technically right, if they were, quote unquote, promoting hesitancy. So that's political censorship. That's not factual censorship. And this was something that came about during the pandemic and uh, and Fauci was clearly in favor of. And this continued, you know, when we found out later that he was involved with the drafting of a seminal paper claiming um, that the that COVID had zoonotic origin that didn't escape from a lab. Yep. And he pushed that on the public. And, you know, so that really changed my opinion of him. So you think, okay, uh, Fauci's looking over this. A paper's published and says it came from an animal, not from a lab. And you go, okay, he comes and announces it. Next thing you know, he has his hand in it. And then the people that wrote up the paper, uh, did they feel, what did you discover about their approach prior to their contact with Fauci? Well, this was what was so shocking. So we got access to all the Slack chats between the, 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 you know, the five major authors of this paper in Nature Medicine called uh, The Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2. And they were saying things like, oh, it's, quote, unquote, so friggin' likely that it came from a lab. That's an actual quote. Um, we can't rule out engineering. Um, I still think that, you know, culture is a possibility. I mean, there were so many different places where they were saying that they believe that it had to be at least considered because they were aware of the kind of research that was going on at the Wuhan Institute. That's what people don't understand is that the people who wrote this paper, they had special knowledge of the virological research that was going on in China. And so they knew that this was a serious possibility just when they when they first looked at the at the virus. That's why this the, those revelations were so significant. So you you talked to and that paper uh, is called uh, the proximity uh, proximal origin paper. So it's out right, there, yeah. but you seem to only so you write it up and only conservative outlets are picking it up. 
Right, and again, this is something that we really didn't understand. We we know that at the beginning of the of the pandemic, there were some um, very good and very experienced reporters like Donald McNeil at the at the New York Times, who were interested in this topic and trying to figure out what the, these people really thought. But over the course of years of propaganda during COVID, uh, people just kind of let it slide. They stopped looking into the question of where, where did this virus come from? And when we put that put out this stuff, it should have triggered a whole wave of new journalistic inve- investigations where people said, hey, wait, if these guys thought that, then there must be something to it. Uh, but no, you know, as you know, there, there was none of that. So Robert F. Kennedy Jr. writes a book, The Real Anthony Fauci, and the book goes, sells like crazy. And what, what uh, Joe Rogan said, I know you go on there all the time, what Joe Rogan said is if the, if this wasn't true, he'd have the biggest defamation suit laid on him and no one's ever gone after him because the stuff in RFK's book, he totally stands behind. He researched it. And there's a reason why everyone bought it, because other people had the same curiosity maybe that you did, Matt. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's what makes, again, the, the censorship factor so insidious. We. we in the Twitter files, we saw RFK's name over and over again. That was one of the first things that jumped out at us is that, he, you know, he was maybe one of the main characters of a lot of the dialogues in there. And as we found out in the Missouri v. Biden lawsuit, the censorship lawsuit, the Biden administration was trying to get him shut down, the, you know, within a day of the inauguration of Joe Biden. Um, but as, as you say, there, there isn't anything in the book that you can say is factually untrue. You might disagree with some of the, the conclusions, um, but it's not a factual issue. It's an opinion issue. And, you, and this is America. You can't just shut, shut that down because you disagree with it, which is, which is so crazy. So the headline in your story that caught my eye is Anthony Fauci was America's warm-up dictator because you talk about it in every element – he tried to affect the outcome and the messaging and what we understood. You even talk about his how he affected journalism with, with right. the Neiman uh, with the Neiman Foundation. Right, and 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 this is so insidious because Fauci would do things like he would say, "Well, you know, masks aren't effective," and then a few weeks later he would t- tell journalists, "Well, I was only saying that because." Um, there was that we didn't have enough PPE, we didn't have enough masks, and we needed for uh, health workers to have access to it. So he was telling you that he lied yeah. on purpose, um, and he did that over and over and over during the course of COVID, where he would say things like, you know, um, you know, I, I think the estimate for what we need for herd immunity is only sixty percent, and then he would raise it raise the number when he saw that people were actually enthusiastic about getting the vaccine. So that's the opposite of science. But he said, you know, that when he said it, it, that was correct because it was the right thing to do. But that's, you know, you know, this is in journalism. That's not the definition of correct. Correct is correct. Right. It's a, it's, it's a factual issue. But he got basically the entire journalistic community to change its idea of what's true and what's false. And I think that was very dangerous. Yeah, it's almost like science jazz. You kind of just make it up and ride the wave. And and you point out, like, I'm great friends with Allison. But all of a sudden, she's interviewing Anthony Fauci all the time. And Anthony Fauci's like, you know what? We're not getting away. I don't think you should get it ready to get uh, get together for Easter and Christmas. Uh, if you're going to, it's going to be outside, which is great for people in Buffalo. So he's actually telling people, don't eat out to 
don't go outside. He's making up facts because he feels like he can. Then he's telling people don't celebrate the holidays. And you then that's what leads you to this whole guys, if you want to be a dictator and you don't you don't want to be any even if you're not 5 foot 4 and look like and sound like Phil Rizzuto, the you could do it. This is the game plan. He did it. He actually pulled it off. We found out about it and no one seems to care that we were duped. Right, exactly. And and he could as you say, he combined all of those elements he made use of this incredibly sophisticated technology that we have in place now to suppress opinion. So even though he had a lot of very serious scientific critics, you know, people like Jay Bhattacharya at Stanford, Martin Kolder at Harvard, they were taken off the Internet. They were, these were some of the most censored people on Earth, uh, and we didn't hear what they had to say because of that. And the next person who comes along is going to know that this, these tools work. Um, and that's what's so scary. And the people that didn't get vaccinated were vilified, people like famous people like Aaron Rodgers, but maybe people listening to us who were told, don't go to work or you lost your job, or nurses, uh, cops. And we find out that you didn't really need it uh, at certain ages. It was only for those people who had infirmities or underlying conditions. And for younger people, there might have been a risk. When have you ever picked up a medicine bottle and it doesn't have a warning on the back and things that could happen? It's impossible. But if you brought up things that could happen with the vaccine, you were vilified. And I just don't want people to forget it. And you obviously don't either. Matt, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Brian. You got it. And he's, uh, he writes for Racket News. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. one 408 Right now, the proceedings are taking place at the beginning of a civil trial with Donald Trump that could last three months. What's so significant today is all the major players showed up. I don't know how many days Trump will go, but, man, he's determined to show up and defend his empire because that's what they're going after. Busy day. So glad you're here. It's Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We've, we've been telling you about the court case, the civil trial for Donald Trump. His really his empire is in peril. Uh, it begins what we expect to be a three-month trial. But oddly, the judge has already ruled he thinks he did commit fraud. Uh, Nate Foy is making, is making sense of it all. He's out in front of the courthouse today. Hey, Nate, welcome. What have you seen so far? Well, it's been uh, quite a crazy morning. We did have some protesters outside the courthouse earlier. Uh, everything was, was peaceful, but, you know, some people speaking out against former President Trump. And then when he arrived here, the energy obviously picked up. And on his way into the courthouse, uh, he made some comments where he defended himself and said that this is just another example of election fraud. And uh, of course, he's by far the leading Republican candidate for president, and he specifically has an issue with New York Attorney General Letitia James, as well as the judge in this case, Justice Arthur Engeron, uh, who he calls uh, essentially compromised, saying that, that he's misrepresenting him. Uh, he says he should stand down from the bench. Uh, so we'll see what comes of this. You mentioned this is day one of what's expected to be a months-long courtroom battle where former President Trump could lose hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, you know, Letitia James here is asking for a $250 million fine as well as severe restrictions that would limit Trump as well as uh, his family and the Trump organization's ability to do business in the state of New York. So what's, what's interesting is he showed up today. That wasn't That was a bit of a surprise, not so much... You know, over the last, uh, like yesterday, it became clear he was going to show up. He does not have to be there, correct? Correct. 
Yeah, this was totally his decision to come here. What kind of what kind of security detail did he have? I saw an endless array of SUVs. Yeah, every time that, that former President Trump arrives here in court, the local authorities work with the Secret Service to ensure that uh, everything is safe. We saw this earlier uh, this year when he went to Manhattan for the, the case brought against him by uh, D.A. Alvin Bragg for falsification of business records in relation to the, the hush money payment to Stormy Daniels. So uh, it's, it's a coordinated event. The Secret Service takes the lead on, on keeping him safe, and then the local authorities here uh, ensure that, that everything outside the courthouse goes according to plan and, and that everyone outside is following the law. You know, I just, uh, I'm just i not sure you've had a chance to see the video of the judge when the camera was on, smiling, taking off his glasses, adjusting his hair, Lachissa James kind of sitting there proudly, and, and Trump sitting there stone-faced with the game face on, rather, uh, and he was able to give four or five-minute speech and lay out his own case and attack the players. So for him, it's been a media plus, it seems. It, it definitely does. And and we've seen every bit of legal trouble that, that former President Trump uh, has gotten into. His poll numbers and fundraising go up. So uh, despite the legal complications, uh, this is a civil trial. So so jail time is, is not a possibility here. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of money on the line as well as uh, some properties, but but politically, this case as well as all the others uh, appear to be helping him, and, and I think that that's part of the reason why former President Trump wanted to come here in person today. And you know, his side of things is, is that this is election interference, that this is a sham, and when you see those images that you mentioned, when the cameras uh, captured him as well as. Uh, James and, and Judge Engelon at the beginning of the trial. Got it, Nate. Nate Foy on the scene. From his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Kevin McCarthy's goal was to make multiple contradictory promises to delay everything, back us up against shutdown politics, and at the end of the day, blow past the spending guardrails. So how many Republicans do you have? Well, enough so that when you host this show next week, if Kevin McCarthy is still the Speaker of the House, he will be serving at the pleasure of the Democrats. He will be working for the Democrats. The only way Kevin McCarthy is Speaker of the House at the end of this coming week is if Democrats bail him out. Now, they probably will. Absolutely, I will make no deal with Democrats and concede no terms to them. I actually think Democrats should vote against Speaker McCarthy for free. Uh, so Matt Gates making it clear, which you rarely see, I am at enemies with my own party. I am at enemies with the Speaker. I blew up at better deal for Republicans because he claims Kevin McCarthy didn't keep up his word by getting all the appropriations deals done. But others who know say this is personal and it's all about his ethics investigation, which is not going well. Josh Krashauer joins us now, uh, Fox News radio political analyst, uh, also editor-in-chief of Jewish Insider and uh, Axios. Uh, Josh, pretty extraordinary, correct? I mean, it's a moment where, you know, the Republican Party is at odds with each other. And it really is just this really small faction led by uh, Matt Gates that basically wants to cause as much disruption as possible and, and possibly could hand control of who, who whether McCarthy is able to ha- hang on as speaker to the to the House Democrats, which is not a, a good place to be in. But Gates is a, sort of the disruptor in chief in, in the House, and it looks like he's going to make McCarthy's 
life as as, as challenging and, and headache-inducing as possible this week, uh, as, as we see if there's enough support within the Republican caucus and whether he has enough, whether Kevin McCarthy has enough plays in the playbook that King on to his speakership. So here's what McCarthy was saying to us, um, Fox and Friends, and last night, cut nine. Matt's probably planned this from the day I ran for speaker, if you watched. He never voted for it. And, and the difficulty is Matt was the individual who voted against our most conservative bill that would have secured the border. Mm-hmm. You know, look, I want to secure the border. He wants to secure interviews. That's okay. Let him do that. But the only way he can be successful is if Democrats go along with him. So he was uh, doing the round saying, don't worry about Matt Gates." Now, what, how many Republicans have to join Matt Gates for Kevin, for Kevin McCarthy if he doesn't get any Democratic support? How many Republicans join Matt Gates to oust McCarthy? You just need five. The, the razor-thin margin that the Republicans have in the House doesn't leave McCarthy much room for error. And it does seem that at least seven or eight or so are, are with Matt Gates and, and want to make things at least as challenging as possible for, for the speaker. Uh, and that's what McCarthy has been dealing with, frankly, pretty effectively up until up until this month in terms of being able to keep his caucus unified and not let these uh, intramural battles disrupt the ability to govern. Um, but it's going to be challenging, and I, I don't know how he can get out of this mess, McCarthy, without getting – sort of some support, uh, whether it's on a vote or whether, you know, it's just on some of the logistical maneuvers ahead to get some Democrats to vote, vote, vote with him and, and, and allow him to have a healthier majority uh, of support. See, I, I, I'm going to let you hear Byron Donalds. But besides this, I haven't heard many people say they want McCarthy out. Cut 19. I think he is in trouble. Part of that is because there has to be some level of strong leadership in our chamber. I'm just going to be totally blunt. There are a lot of trust issues in my chamber right now where people feel on both sides of our conference that everybody's not going to hold hands and continue to do this work together. Um, That was indicative also of what happened yesterday on the floor where it took more Democrats to pass this, Mm -hmm. this deal to keep the government open. The same thing happened on the debt deal. So I'm not saying he's not going to vote against him, but it doesn't. It looks like he might be uh, uh, maybe teetering. But I haven't heard many more. Have you heard others? No, I mean, you you really hear the same Matt Rosendale, so names, Andy Ro- Biggs, Rosendale. yeah, exactly. And and just all you have to do, Brian, is look at the final Republican holdouts against McCarthy in the Speaker vote that lasted 15 ballots, and those are the same names that are popping up again and again, and. They, 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 they love making McCarthy's life very, very difficult, even though I don't see what their end game is politically. In fact, a lot of, you know, when there was a looked like there was going to be a shutdown this weekend, a lot of uh, commentators were smartly calling it a Seinfeld shutdown because as opposed to other shutdowns that I've covered, it's really hard to really grasp exactly what a lot of these troubles uh, are, are asking for, what, what their demands are, other than a broad dislike of, of the current speaker. So, yeah, it's about spending levels. But the reality is we're, we're, we're in a divided government. Democrats control the White House and the Senate. And, and the notion that you can you know, have eight, eight Republicans dictate the agenda of, of the overall Congress is, is something that's just not, 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 not based in reality. But, again, we avoided the, the shutdown for now, but these, these issues with both McCarthy's leadership and ability to hang on as speaker, and then 45 days from now, right before Thanksgiving, we're gonna we could be going through this all over again. Um, so this is this is a very uh, I don't think anyone would look at this and say this is the most effective way to run a, a government. So Josh, I don't understand why they didn't get the appropriations bills done out of committee. It doesn't make any sense to me. You've had four months from when he got that deal with Biden to extend to September 30th, and they said at that time we're gonna have to do regular order. Why weren't they done? 
Yeah, well, I mean, the the, the reality is that the, on, on some of those issues, uh, you would have had trouble getting votes in the Republican conference on, on, on some of those very, very specific issues. And um, look, the, the, that's one of the big disputes uh, between Gates and some of these rebels and, and McCarthy and leadership in that you know, they were making, made promises to secure – McCarthy get, secure, made some promises to secure the speakership, and some of the conservative Freedom Caucus members don't feel like those promises were, were kept uh, during this debate. But in reality, McCarthy is dealing with a very unwieldy conference that you have moderates in swing districts that need to you know, cast votes that are a little independent of the party line at times. And they can't always be uh, on, on the hard line side of any given issue. Uh, otherwise, you lose. The, you Democrats take over the House in, in, in November of 2024. So you know, McCarthy has to balance the politics and making sure Republicans control the majority with the need to keep the party together. And it's been very difficult. He's actually – I was surprised how um, – you know, I think he handled it fairly well in the first seven, eight months of his speakership. But when it comes to the government spending levels and then the, the demands that – uh, that these Freedom Caucus Republicans made initially over spending that came to the forefront, and it's led to this big, big uh, mess you know, on Capitol Hill right now. So, how serious are the ethics violations that they're investigating uh, Gates on? Because they might bring that up. Where it is, he is unpopular. Here's Carlos Jimenez of Florida, cut eighteen. You know that's a very serious act, and the people of his district voted him in. And so, I have to see pretty serious allegations against Matt Gates in order for me. To, uh, to kick him out of the House of Representatives. And I think that that's, that goes for him and it goes for anybody else who's a member. It's a very serious allegation, and it, and it needs to be very serious charges against him in order for me to take that action. So he's not willing to kick him out. Others are. Do you have any idea what they are? Well, we've heard there's been, been stories in the press, some of them unconfirmed, just a lot of more gossip and rumor than actual uh, fact. Uh, but look, I, I, it always is uncomfortable. We've learned this from covering, you know, former President Trump. That you know, there's a there's a real antipathy to you know using ethics violations or ethics investigations as a threat politically. So I I, I think it's a little bit of a hot potato that some of the Republicans are wielding um, that are, don't like Matt Gates. You know, I think the substance is enough to really kind of diminish his, the, the power of his argument. Is there, you know, he, he he certainly is kind of hanging out on a right right wing limb. And doesn't have a whole lot of support from within the caucus on the substance of his argument. Um, so, you know, you're, you're hearing some Republicans raise the specter of ethics committee investigations. A, a lot of this has been, been reported publicly, but um, I think it's a little uncomfortable when that's wielded as a. I don't know how far that's going to go with other Republicans in using that as a, as a political threat. How, how much traction is this firearm pull by Congressman Bowman going to go? We know that uh, we know that Malliotak, Nicole Malliotakis wants him out. Listen to AOC make excuses for him. Cut 28. They are protecting someone who has lied to the American people, lied to the United States House of Representatives, lied to congressional investigators, but they're fire, uh, filing a motion of, to expel a member who, in a moment of panic, was trying to escape a vestibule. Give me a break. Yes, he was trying to escape a vestibule. We've all been trapped in lobbies. Uh, there was no yeah. way out. It was him or die. Yeah. Reality check. That was not. I mean, we'll, we'll, well, hopefully we'll see the video and we'll get more evidence. But I, I've been on Capitol Hill. I know exactly where the, the, the vestibule <laughs> that was referenced and, and seen in all the photos. It doesn't make any sense why anyone would pull a, a fire alarm to get out that door. Just, you know, it doesn't make it doesn't pass the smell test. So I think there's going to be more more coverage, more scrutiny of, of Congressman Bowman. Look, he, he's not you know, he, he's been a very controversial figure since first elected. Uh, he actually unseated a 
a more experienced Democratic lawmaker in a primary and has made some negative headlines for himself most most prominently this weekend. But, you know, whether he's – I don't think he's going to get expelled. In fact, a lot of Republicans are supporting censure or something less less significant. But it's a headache for Democrats when you have, you know, members of – he's a member of the – essentially a, a member of the squad, and, and those are the types of lawmakers that give Democrats headaches every, every step of the way and, and, and do things that are just – uh, politically un- inexplicable. You write uh, this weekend uh, with Tony Josh Crasher and Axios that Joe Biden's summer of Bidenomics has been a disaster. No one bought it. The numbers look terrible. Only 28 percent of Americans said they were very or somewhat satisfied with the state of the economy. He tried to tell everyone they were wrong. His approval overall on the state of comedy on uh, of the economy on him is 37 percent, 59 percent disapprove. Yet they decided the brain trust around Joe Biden that we're going to run on Bidenomics. They need a plan B. Yeah, this kind of, I think, explains the bubble that a lot of folks in the White House, Democrats writ large, can be in at times where they, they, they increasingly are winning support from well, wealthier Americans. That the, the coalitions are changing. They, they have more upper middle class, richer people and part of their part of their voting base. And they don't realize that that many, many Americans, if you look at the data, which I lay out in that piece and, you know, the, the, the you know, everyone else other than the top 10, 20 percent are really facing challenges, but, you know, in their day to day finances and to brand the economy that most Americans think is not working for them under the president's name. That was the first really big decision that the Biden reelection campaign yeah. made. And it makes you wonder, like, look, there are ways to you know, feel people's pain, to talk about the things that need to be done, to make people feel, feel uh, like, like, like they can better pay their bills, that they can help with their finances. But spiking the football when the game isn't over, that, that, you know, remember Bush mission accomplished? And, I mean, that, that's like a, having a mission accomplished moment when people are just feeling the exact opposite. So, uh, yeah, and I talked to the you know, folks in the White House, and it was, it was an uncomfortable they, – they own. They, they, well, Jared Bernstein, one of their top economic advisors, went on TV this morning and reiterated that that the economy is working and, and Bidenomics is the right branding for it. But boy, a lot of Democrats I talked to were a lot more, in private at least, nervous and anxious about that that messaging decision. Uh, yeah, well, it's they can continue. It'll be a disaster, especially if things can even go further south. The other uh, thing you talk about is President Biden's lost ground with Hispanics, much more, uh, lost more than President Obama had and Hillary Clinton. He's trying to get him back. He's also lost a section of the black vote, and he's losing independent votes. So their plan seems pretty simple. Uh, It seems vilify Donald Trump. Forget about the other contenders. Just go after Trump. And you think that that full-throated attack started already? Well, yeah. I mean, look, there's a little bit of a subtle pivot. Now, they've always been running against, like, the MAGA wing of the party that worked for them in, in the midterms to some extent. And it's certainly coming back in 2024 now that Trump looks like he's the, the odds-on favorite to, to be the Republican nominee again. Uh, so you're starting to see a little bit of a pivot if you watch some of the advertisements that the Biden campaign has come up with lately. It started out the ads are just about the economy coming back and, and pouting Biden. Now there's a little more of a contrast if you watch the latest ads, including one that went up during the uh, during the Fox debate, Republican debate over the last week. So, you know, it, they, they, they get it. Like, I, I think they realize this has to be a choice, and, and it's not just about – saying that people are you know, wrongly, I think, thinking that the people are happy with the economy. They need to kind of draw a contrast between uh, the record they have and, and what they think Trump's record would be if he's elected. So we'll see. We'll see where that goes. But is there any sense among the Biden people that you have picked up that there's a that they might not run? For re-election, or is he full? No, no. I mean, everything is all systems go, and we're starting to get to the point where you know <laughs> there's some deadlines coming up in terms of if there was anyone who wanted to qualify uh, in case 
they want to run against Biden or run in an open race, uh, the deadlines are coming up pretty soon. So we're, we're kind of past the point of no return unless there's a, you know, something totally unforeseen, like a health, a health issue that comes up before the election. So we sat down with John Harwood, and this is what he one of his first interviews in a long time. And here's what he said about why he's running. Cut 31. Given the concerns that many voters have about your age, among other things, why are you the only Democrat who can protect democracy next year? I'm not the only Democrat that can protect it. Uh, I just happen to be the Democrat who I think is best positioned to see to it that the guy I worry about taking on democracy is not president. So, I mean, that does explain things. The other thing he talked about is Hunter, cut 32. I can't start without acknowledging how wrong I was the last time we sat down nearly four years ago. I did not expect the 2020 campaign to go well, and here we are. Well, you know, I, I'm optimistic. <laughs> and uh, I thought we could do that well. And, I, and you remember, in 2022, I thought we were going to do well, yeah. too. I think the means in which people are tracking polls now, they've kind of lost their focus, and it's hard to get it done. Secondly, I think that, uh, I think, you know, the media's changed a lot. Not sure what that meant, and I did a bad toss to that. I don't know where the Hunter one was, but he says, we all know that Hunter had nothing to do with you. They always like to preface that case with it has nothing to do with you. Um, and Joe Biden talks about how everyone underestimated him again. Two things. From your, from your reporting, do you believe that he thinks he can still win? And number two, if Trump wasn't running, do you think Joe Biden would still be running? I would say yes to both to both questions. I think the second is a more kind of hypothetical question. But no, I think look, a poll show Biden can win. He's he's tied, uh, which I think is a lot worse position than many Democrats expected, uh, given that Trump is is a likely uh, challenger at this point. But um, sure, he can, he can win, and I think he's probably perhaps even a you know if you look at the polls, maybe a very slight favorite. Um, but he's got a lot of issues, age being one of the biggest. And the economy uh, being a, a secondary, one of also a lot of significance. And I think there's now a, a much greater level of anxiety and concern within Democratic circles. So they're, they're past the point where they can just say, oh, yeah, the president's not going to run for re-election. And I don't think Biden has even thought about that. I think he's been committed to running for re-election for a while now. And I don't think anything is going to really take him off that, that track. All right, Josh, we'll see. And we'll ride those numbers. And we'll continue to see what they come up with next. Josh Krasher, uh Fox News radio political analyst. Uh, also with Axios and uh, the chief of Jewish Insider. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. We okay, come back. Great. We'll wrap things up with you. Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm not going to tell you right now exactly what that announcement will be. I can say, though, that if you've been waiting to come to one of my public events, this will be the one to come to. I'll be speaking about a sea change in American politics and what your part and my part is in that change. So that is uh, RFK Jr. He's got about 20, 15 to 20 percent tops in the Democratic primary, but they're not letting him have one. They, they don't really want to run a primary process. They can't even decide on New Hampshire. And they told him, if you want to do New Hampshire, go ahead, pay for it. And he's getting tired of not getting any backing. So it looks like he's going to announce he's having an independent run. But then he's got to decide how he gets on 50 states. If anyone knows how to do it, it would be a Kennedy. All right. But believe it or not, he's an outsider. And the question is, if he gets in the race, will he take that one or two percent necessary for 
Donald Trump to win, that helped George Bush win, that helped, uh, you know, Ralph Nader not in the race. Al Gore probably wins, although I think uh, Karl Rove came with a different technology. Gary Johnson took some votes from Hillary Clinton, and Jill Stein took some votes from Hillary Clinton, they say. So that helped Donald Trump win the last time. Now you got Cornell West. That's not going to help with the black vote for Joe Biden. And if RFK, I know some Republicans like him. I'm not sure they like him instead of Trump. They like him instead of Biden. But we'll see. He's going to make it official. This thing's going to be really exciting. Let alone what no label is going to do. Brian Kilme. Go to BrianKilme.com. Find out when I'm going to be live with Teddy and Booker T. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.